The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The day of God's judgment. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are God. And you will sit on that throne and judge the inhabitants of the earth. Mighty King, would you open our hearts and our minds Clear away the clouds of confusion. Let us be clear today about your judgment day. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Luke, the 19th chapter. I'm going to begin reading at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead of He said, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. 
those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as they had been told. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When you read this story in Matthew... You find them using the term Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna was a political rallying cry at this point in Jerusalem. And it meant set us free. And specifically it meant set us free of Rome. The word Hosanna is made up of two words. One, set us free or save us, and the other, we pray. So it's, we pray, you set us free. Or we pray, you save us. That's what Hosanna means, literally. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus in verse 39, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In another place, the Lord told the disciples, When you see the abomination, flee Jerusalem. The Christians left Jerusalem when the Roman armies first came because the armies then withdrew. There was another war that they were in an emergency situation with. The armies withdrew. The Christians fled. And the Romans returned. And when the Romans came... It was on a Jewish holiday, so there were over three million Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. They encircled the city. They built an embankment all the way around it. No one could enter or leave Jerusalem. Prior to the Roman army coming, a war had broken out in Jerusalem among the Jewish people who were there. There were three divisions. These three divisions took up 
defensive positions against one another in the city of Jerusalem. One of them was led by the high priest, and they fought from the temple. Then there was the lower city, and there was the upper city. They all had walls dividing them. What occurred during this part of the battle was that they made forays into the other part and destroyed the food supplies that had been laid up that could have kept starvation away for several years of siege. But the Jewish people themselves, in their bitterness with each other, destroyed the food supplies. And then the Romans came, and the ditches that had been dug on the outside began to fill up with bodies because as the people starved to death, those inside the city would heave the bodies of their loved ones over the wall into the ditches. There was no place to put the bodies. Josephus tells us that by the end of this siege, at least three million people perished. Three million people perished. Do you realize what that means? There are just over three million people that live in the greater Washington area. They were jammed into this tiny little city where disease spread, where people starved, where there was cannibalism. Every unclean thing went on in that city as people fought and killed one another for the last remaining supplies of food. It's one of the most bitter scenes in all of history. Titus was determined to save the temple and not burn it because it was so stunningly beautiful. But the Roman soldiers became so enraged at the cruelty and the wickedness of the Jewish fighters that one soldier climbed on top of the shoulders of another soldier and flung a firebrand inside where it quickly ignited and the whole sanctuary burned. It was a desperate scene. I would not have wanted to have been present. We have an eyewitness by the name of Josephus who has written out the story of what happened. That was judgment. That was judgment on Israel because they had rejected Jesus as their Savior. That's what Jesus says here. Notice. If you, in verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And that word is not shalom in the Greek. It is another Greek word, and it means security. It means security. It means living comfortably in your home with enough food to eat, Enough money to pay your bills. It means security. 
He's saying, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you security in your home. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So what happened in Jerusalem? Three million people dying was because they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And God's judgment came on Jerusalem, on his very own people. And for 500 years after this, Jewish people were not allowed to live in Jerusalem. They were utterly expelled from Jerusalem. How do we even begin to talk about judgment? I want to tell you I don't like judgment. I remember every test that I had to go and take in Greek. It was like judgment day had come. And there was a test every week. And so I would be up with partners at 4.30, 5.30 every morning meeting to study Greek. 16 hours of Greek I had to take. Every week I faced the judgment. I knew I either had to pass the Greek or I could not fulfill in my life the calling that God had upon me for pastoral ministry. And I said, okay, if that's what I have to get through, then God, you have to get me through it. Have you been to judgment? Have you ever gone to court for a ticket? Have you ever had to stand up in front of the judge and say, yes, sir, I did it. I'm guilty as charged. Could you please have mercy on me? Have you ever said that to a judge? We don't like to think about judgment. But all of us are going to face the judgment. Now, here's where it gets difficult because, you see, if we start here, I'm born here. I come down here, and this is where I die. Right? It's, it's linear time. It flows from this point to this point. I can't slow it down. I can't stop it. I have in my bathroom this horrible, horrible clock. And I'm standing in front of my mirror and I'm shaving. And I hear this clock going. And I'm shaving and I'm saying, Lord, my life is ticking away while I stand here and do this foolish thing of shaving. Isn't life more than shaving? And then I tried to add up one day how much time I've spent in my life shaving. Have you ever added up how much time you've spent in the shower? Or how much time in your life, in your whole lifespan, you will have spent driving somewhere? I mean, our lives are made up of these little incidental things that none of us would say were all that important, and yet we spend a great deal of time walking through these things in this linear 
walk that we're taking. And all of these things take us to this place called judgment. You see, we like to be able to think that because we live in the present, this is all there is. But did you know that yesterday is recorded? You may have forgotten about yesterday, but God has not forgotten about your yesterday. He knows exactly what you did, what you said, what you thought. It's all recorded. And you will face this on Judgment Day. You will be held accountable on Judgment Day for eternity. Now, I don't know if that troubles you, but that troubles me a great deal. Because... I go to bed every night and I try to forget about yesterday and now today's a new day. I only live now. But someday soon, my now is going to be judgment day. And it will be all day. And I'm going to be held accountable for each of the days that I've spent on the earth in this linear flow of time. What am I going to do? How will I stand in that day? You see, I can fool myself into thinking that, okay, today's today, and tomorrow's going to come, and then the next day's going to come, and I have an endless supply of days. This week I was listening to a radio broadcast, and the person doing the broadcast said, Have you retired? When a person retires, the average person on retirement has 6,000 days to spend any way he'd like to because he's retired. I thought, isn't that interesting? You retire, and now you have 6,000 days until you die. And we call that retirement. So you have 6,000 days to rust out. My dad used to always say, Ray, I'm never going to retire. I don't want to rust out. I want to wear out. Doing something for the kingdom of God. What are you doing with your days? Look back over the days of this week. I know it's hard because we only want to be present right now. But think back over the days this week. What were your days filled with? And through those days... Who did you honor as being top dog? Was it your boss? Was it your husband, your wife? Was it your kids? Was it your family? Who did you hallow? Who did you honor all week? Was it Jesus? There's a passage of scripture that I want you to look with me at. It's found in the book of Romans. Romans, the first chapter. I'm going to read you the introduction to the book. Let's begin with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. You know what an apostle is, right? An apostle is one who goes from the Sanhedrin, who is the legal high court of the land, It's the supreme court of the nation. An apostle is the person who goes from the supreme court to the person whose case has been decided 
and gives them the verdict regarding their case. Okay, so an apostle is one who carries the message regarding the verdict. Paul is saying he's called to be an apostle. It's his job to hear from God what the verdict is and then to go and proclaim the verdict regarding your condition or your situation. Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes by faith. So Paul's task is to come and call people, telling them that the verdict regarding their life has been decided, that they are going to face the judgment, that they are going to be cast into hell, but a verdict has been rendered outside of the law that says there is a way you can escape this final judgment on your life. And they call that the gospel, the good news. So Paul is coming from God, from the Supreme Court, and he's saying... Under the law, you have no chance. You are condemned to die. But something has happened that will allow you to escape this death sentence. It does not come from the law. It comes from another source. For the Jewish people, righteousness could only come from the law and only from keeping the law. He's saying there is something coming to you as an opportunity Did you ever hear these invitations to become a part of a multi-level marketing campaign? You know, you draw these circles and you you get five people here or five people there and and you sign them up in the business and pretty soon you're making $100,000 a year. Have you ever caught gold fever from a business opportunity? I have spent some sleepless nights in my past dreaming that I could finally have all of the money I wanted and I could be free to do whatever I wanted to do and I'd never have to worry about money again. Only to discover it was not good news. Instead, it would consume my life and I wouldn't have any money. He's coming and saying, here is an opportunity for you to have eternal life. You will face the judgment, but you'll face the judgment and you will be righteous when you face the judgment. But that righteousness is not going to come from the law. You can't keep the law and gain righteousness. It has to come from another source. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of this good news, he says. I'm ashamed of some of the good news that I've received in the past about multi-level marketing. I'm ashamed. I got a lot of people involved with me, and they lost money, and I lost money. I'm ashamed that I did that. 
Now, I'm not saying that you haven't made money in it. You may have been a great winner. I haven't seen the evidence of it, but... Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good news I'm bringing to you because it is the power or dunamis or dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in this good news I'm bringing you, a righteousness or innocence from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as written, the righteous will live by faith. So he's saying, I have some great news for you. If you want to participate in this program that will allow you to escape condemnation and judgment and death, here's how you do it. And he says, the first step is you believe on Jesus Christ. The word believe, we've talked about before, it means to be stuck to. It means to adhere to. It means that you lift him up as the only potentate or ruler or king over your life. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It doesn't say among everyone that you love and hallow, include the Father as one of those. No. Hallowed be thy name. It means he alone is to be honored. The good news says that if you will honor only the Lord, you will let him be first in your life. If you will hallow his name, This righteousness will come to you as you lift up his name and believe on him. Now, where we're struggling as a congregation is that we're lifting up the name of Jesus on Sundays and we're trying to lift up the name of Jesus through the week until our responsibilities come first. And when our our responsibilities come first, we lift them up first. We lift up other people first. So we think one moment we can lift up Jesus and he's the most important. The next minute we're lifting up making money and that's the most important part. And then we're lifting up our husband or our wife. Then we're lifting up our hopes and our desires. We're lifting up our expectations. We're lifting up our discouragement. We're lifting up our anger We lift up and we hallow all kinds of things. He's saying, no. Only lift up the Lord Jesus in your heart. And if you will lift up only the Lord Jesus in your heart, this righteousness will begin to flow into your life. Follow with me. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So he's saying that you can suppress the truth of God. And you suppress it by making decisions to turn aside from the Lord and act like the truth is not there. I'm good at this. 
I have an appointment with someone that I'm very concerned about. For example, this last week, I was very concerned about the meeting at All Saints Church. I didn't know what was going to happen in that meeting. And we're down to the wire. We have only this month, and then we have to have another location. So what's going to happen in that meeting? I was up early that morning. I went into my prayer closet. I began to read the scriptures. I gave my entire attention to the Lord Jesus. Guess what I was doing? I was, surpa- I was suppressing the fear that was rising up in my heart regarding this meeting at All Saints. Because I could not afford to go to that meeting with fear in my heart. I read the scriptures until it was time to leave, not giving myself time to even think about that meeting. And in my prayer, I totally turned that meeting over to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go and let you lead. I'm going to go and simply be a humble servant of yours. So I drove into the parking lot. And as I drove into the parking lot, I saw another man drive into the parking lot. He climbed out of the car and he acted like he knew what he was doing. He got out of the car and he walked straight in. I said, if this were my church and I, wa- and I came into the parking lot and I saw a stranger getting out of their car, I'd go greet them. I'd talk with them. And fear began to rise up in my heart. Like, what kind of place is this? I remembered the time I just spent in the presence of Jesus. And immediately I prayed, Lord, Forgive me, I've just judged this man. I have no right, I have no idea who he is. I have no idea what his responsibilities are. I don't know what he's concerned about. So I just lift up my heart and I repent. Guess what happened? All of my fear was suppressed. I walked into the building. I saw several people walking around. I immediately saw a billboard and on the billboard was their full church budget. I said, okay, I know what I want to look at. I want to see what their finances are in this church. So I went over to the billboard and started looking at their financial statements. And this man who had just walked in the building came up to me. And he said, are you Pastor Ray? I said, yes. Are you from the National Prayer Chapel? Yes. And he introduced himself as the senior pastor of that congregation. Humble of heart, concerned about how the meeting would go with Pastor Ray. Isn't that interesting? I could have let fear control. I could have let judgment control. We can suppress either the fear and the disobedience by reading the word and focusing on Jesus Or we can suppress the word and we can suppress righteousness and we can suppress the things of God. We get to make that choice. And it is a choice. 
And we have to make that decision in light of the knowledge that we're going to be coming down here and this is where judgment's going to take place. And if I get to that day of judgment and my life has been suppressing the truth by my wickedness, I will face the judgment of God and be cast out. But if I walk in this righteousness that comes by faith, and I do not suppress the truth by my wickedness, I'll be brought into the eternal kingdom with Jesus. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Fools here simply means without judgment. Unable to make wise decisions. So Paul is saying, look, you can suppress the truth by your actions, by your attitudes. Or you can suppress wickedness by turning to Jesus. So you work in an office and you can't stand the people that work with you. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to let judgment and anger and bitterness and wickedness rise up in your heart? Are you going to let fear dominate your heart? Or are you going to walk in the peace of Jesus? Somebody said to me this last week, Pastor, how am I supposed to walk in the peace of Jesus when everything around me is utterly insane? I said, there is no avenue for that insanity to come into your heart if your heart is full of Jesus. If your heart is lifting up the name of Jesus, insanity has no room to slip in. But if the insanity comes in, there's no room for Jesus. You make that choice. You are the gatekeeper of your soul. And these are the issues that will finally determine how you stand on that great day of judgment. Notice, this is Revelation chapter 20. I'll begin reading with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. We're talking about being taken to a place that is not of this earth. Everyone who's going to appear has died. And now they're going to face the judgment. Did you know? Did you know you're going to die? Have you made peace with that? Have you made peace with the fact that you will die? That you have a short period on this earth. You have a limited number of days. And then your life is over. You may have time to get married. Or you may not have time to get married. You may have time to own a house or you may not. Does it matter? In the end, it really doesn't. 
in the end, what matters how you stand before this judgment bar. That's really all that matters. At that judgment bar, nobody is going to ask you how you feel about being judged. I mean, being judged or not is not optional. You're on the court docket. And you are brought against your will by mighty angels to stand before this judgment bar. You cannot escape it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you understand? As these people are going to be cast into the lake of fire, they will be fully conscious, even as you are right now. The only difference between right now and this final day of judgment is that on the final day of judgment, your fate is sealed for eternity. That's the only difference between now and then. Right now, your judgment has not come and your fate has not yet been sealed and you still have time to avail yourself of this righteousness that is being given by God as a free gift to any who will receive it. But it means you must die to this world, give up this world, and hallow only the name of Jesus. As this young man said this last week, Pastor, I don't want to die. I want to follow Jesus And I want him to give me a good life. I want him to reward me financially. I want him to reward me with with friends. I want him to reward me with healing in my body. I want him to take care of me and I will serve him. It's It's a business deal between us. And I said, I'm sorry. God doesn't make those kinds of deals. You choose to serve Jesus. You lay your life down for him. And your life may be spent quickly and you're out of here. You may endure hardship, persecution, trials. Your serving of Jesus has nothing to do with benefits you receive until after the judgment. And if you're found worthy at the judgment and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be granted eternity with him. But they will not organize a football league in heaven. They will not have NASCAR races in heaven. They will not have the clubs and the sexual uncleanness in heaven. 
They're not going to have the pride of money. They're not going to have most of the things that are considered vital for our culture. They're not going to have in heaven. So you have to decide. Do you want those things of darkness? Then grab them while you can here. And don't play around with following Jesus. Go grab as much heaven as you can grab now. Because you're going to face the judgment. And then you'll be cast into hell. So make a clear decision. Understand and be conscious of the decision you're making regarding eternal life. Don't play with following Jesus and drag the world with you. Because in the end, you're going to be most miserable as you're cast into hell. You might as well go grab all the wickedness you can grab while you're here. Or else, go all the way with Jesus. But don't be caught in between. You of all would be most miserable. So either be completely given over to Jesus, or be completely given over to the devil and strike a deal with him. He'll give you everything you want. And then your life's over. God is not going to reward good citizens of this world. You are either a citizen of the heavenly realm, sold out, given over. Or you will not enter into that holy and hallowed ground called heaven. Now this has caused me this week to spend much time in meditation and reflection. Asking the Lord about piece by piece the parts that make up my life sitting before the Lord each evening and reflecting on the day and asking him, Lord, this is what I've done today. Are you pleased? Or are you displeased? Are there any areas where you're displeased with me? Could I, could I know that now? so that I don't ever live another day of my life unconsciously. I choose to live with full awareness of what choices I'm making and whether or not I'm suppressing righteousness by making wicked choices. I don't have the time nor the energy to follow my bliss. Do you know what I mean by that? Let's see, what would I like to do today? I think I would have fun doing, and off I go. I could spend my whole life doing what I like to do. I can guarantee you I would not be in Washington, D.C. I would like to spend the next 6,000 days beside the ocean, fishing, sailing, Then I'd like to spend the next 6,000 days mountain climbing in Colorado, snowmobiling. I mean, I could plan it out in 6,000 increments. Find a money machine, find somebody to crank it for me, and go live my life. And come to the judgment bar of God and be cast into hell. Or I can give my life over which is what my heart desires, utterly and completely over to Jesus. And you know what? 
What an adventure it has been following Jesus. In the nation's capital, on the radio, fellowshipping with you all, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't exchange it for anything. You know partly why? I'm not just friends with you now. I plan on spending eternity with you. Could you stand to spend eternity with me? See, your whole way of thinking changes. Your whole way of looking at reality shifts. As you begin to understand that you have a limited number of days on the face of the earth, you cannot afford to spend those limited number of days suppressing the truth of God in your life. Because at the end of those days, you face the judgment. And at the judgment, the Lord will want to know what you've done with the talents and gifts that he has given to you. Have you used them for your own vain glory, or have you used them for the kingdom of God? Have you won the hearts of other men and women to follow after Jesus? The temptation is to see ourselves as gods ruling over our little universe, our jobs, our families, our activities, our pleasures, to see ourselves as gods ruling over our little universe. And I want to tell you today, that's a false illusion. We're going to go here, and we're going to go there, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Remember, the judgment day is coming. The great day of judgment is coming. And Christ will sit on that throne, a great white throne. And he will judge you and he will judge me. And if my name is not found written in the book of life, I'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So I guess I have a question for you today. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know? Your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life before you go to judgment. The reason it must be written there before you go to judgment is you cannot have it written there by keeping the law. You can only have your name written there by receiving this righteousness that does not come from the law, but comes directly from Jesus as a free gift You receive that free gift and in return you give everything of your heart and your life over into the hand of Jesus. And you stop suppressing the truth by your wickedness. So I spend today preaching the word, ministering the word, and then I go home tonight. Do I climb into sin? Do I turn to darkness? Then I'm suppressing the truth by unrighteousness. I'm living a double life. See, this is why I've spoken to you the way I have about being on time. I'm saying stop the double life. Recognize who Jesus is. 
honor him, hallow him, change your schedule, do whatever's necessary. Be up in the morning on your face before God, crying out to him. Earnestly desire him. I've read stories of John Wesley coming home to his family in the evening. And he walks into the home singing one of Charles's songs, one of the songs of praise. The whole family gathers with him. They enter into worship. They sing songs of praise to Jesus. This is the normal life of his children. Singing songs of praise before the throne of God. If I entered into your home, would I be hearing instead the television sing a song of glory to to the devil? What is your private world like? Is your private world given over to Jesus? Do you go into the presence of Jesus lifting up your hands and honoring him? Or do you enter into his presence surly and angry and withdrawn? I wish I didn't have to do this. And turn and and duck into some corner of darkness. Examine your heart and your life. See, this is why the sermon... Sinners in the hands of an angry God was so startling because he pictured us like spiders on a web with God holding the scissors ready to clip the and drop us into hell. Well, that's a pretty startling image for us. And God is not cruel. He's full of mercy and compassion. He loves us with an everlasting love. But he's not going to play with us. He's not going to be permissive with us. We will face the judgment. Just as surely as I'm going to close this service and we're going to have a benediction and you're going to walk out of here and get in your car and you're going to go somewhere. Just as surely as that's going to happen, the angels of God are going to come and get you and transport you to the judgment bar of God. And you will stand there just as surely as you will drive out of this parking lot today. How will you stand? How will you stand in that great day? Almighty God, your great day of judgment is coming very soon. I pray, O God, that we will not cast away these precious moments day by day to prepare for that final judgment event. I pray, Lord, you'll awaken us from our slumber and our wanton ways of hallowing anything or everything that we might only hallow your name. Lord, have your way in this house. Prepare us for that judgment day. Regardless of what it takes, prepare us for that day that we could enter into your kingdom. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
and dying, here's about Calvary. How Jesus can wash your sins away. Satan tries to hold on and rock him back to sleep. But he hears the Holy Spirit softly say, Oh, sinner, oh, sinner, oh, sinner, it's time to wake up. Oh, sinner, oh, sinner, oh, sinner, it's time to wake up. Announcing the resurrection day The voice of Jesus will penetrate the ground And all sleeping saints will hear him say Oh, sing, oh, sing, oh, sing It's time to wake up Oh, sing, it's time to wake up Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.